The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. To you, but that, that meditation felt very short to me. <laughs> I think the combination of the, the it's about the same time as, as always, maybe the, the guided and then the silence or something. Um, Coming here this morning, one of the things I was reflecting on is that there's a way that every Dharma talk is sort of the same, you know, and um, maybe different teachers would agree that all Dharma talks are sort of the same, but they might have a different understanding of what what that is, what that sameness is, or what that that sort of core messages. Um, but I would say that um, every talk is um, in, in the same way as every guided meditation is, is, is a, offered as a support or offered as an encouragement um, to just stay with our experience, to stay with what's happening, to stay with um, our own unique experience exactly as it is. You know, and um, so each of us sitting here, um, although there are some commonalities to our experience, it's 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 known, it's understood in 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 our own way. You know, we're thinking our own thoughts, we're we're having our own experience of the body, of the room, um, sort of dependent on our conditioning and, you know, all these other, other things in our life. So, so something about that, something about whatever, however it happens to be for us right now, that's it. That's really it. And to stay with that. And something about trusting that, that being with that, that trusting, trusting the process of being with that um, is valuable. Is is um, is uh, is worthy of our attention, worthy of our care. Whatever we're experiencing is worth paying attention to, worth giving attention to. So, um, maybe in a way, every talk is is sort of about that. Um, which is not to say that, however our experience is, it will always be that way. You know, so if we're experiencing suffering or difficulty, yeah, just stay with that, and it'll always be like that. <laughs> um, that's not quite it either. It's like um, the willingness to be with our suffering, the willingness to be with what's difficult, the willingness to to stay when we'd rather go, you know, when we'd rather turn away, when we'd rather, you know, distract ourselves, do something else. Um, so, such a human thing. But that willingness to come back and that willingness to stay is maybe what allows um, whatever difficulty, that whatever suffering, to be experienced in a different way or to be understood in a different way. Um, and and that's, that's what I wanted to talk about today 
which maybe seems a little bit paradoxical, but um, my idea was to talk about the topic of joy, of happiness and joy and delight, and um, and the the invitation from the Buddhist side or the Dharma side is that um, through being with our suffering, through being with what's difficult, that opens the door to joy. That opens the joy to happiness. Um, and so just to explore that a little bit, the, you know, the relationship between mindfulness and joy, the relationship between um, that um, developing that ability to be with our experience and, and, and how might that bring about joy, happiness. Um, some of you are, are um, likely familiar with this teaching of the seven factors of awakening. You know, and it's, it's this idea that there are these qualities of the, of the heart, qualities of the mind that um, we can cultivate and it's sort of like the roadmap to enlightenment. You know, it's like rather than trying to needing to reinvent the wheel, we're, we're told these seven qualities. If you don't remember anything else, if you remember these seven qualities and 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 look for them and develop them, then the mind, the heart, is um, ready and available to um, open up in in a in a deep and beautiful way. And so those qualities are, um, on one side, mindfulness and investigation and energy or effort. And on the other side, you know, th- those are a little more of the energizing ones. And on the other side, there's tranquility or calmness, um, concentration, and equanimity. So they're kind of calming, stabilizing. And then right in the middle, of those is joy. So, you know, it's like I think about it, especially in times when meditation is difficult or life is difficult. It's like joy is at the center of our practice. You know, it's like um, this is a practice that is centered around joy, is centered around delight. And um, it's... um, the, the, the experience I have of, of people who have practiced for, for a long time, 30, 40, 50 years or more, is that in their own way, they all, they each have this quality of lightness, this quality of being able to move through the world with a kind of ease, which doesn't mean that they don't have problems. It doesn't mean that they don't experience all the human things that we all experience. But there's a sort, a sort of a joy, a lightness, um, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I find that very encouraging, and, and just as a reminder that oh yeah, in a, in a deep way, this is about joy, and this is about finding joy in maybe some of the places that we wouldn't necessarily expect it, wouldn't necessarily look for it. Um, the other, the other um, 
memory that was coming up for me in, in reflecting on joy was the first time I stayed at um, a Buddhist monastery for, I think it might have been a, a week or less than a week. I was just visiting. But it was at Tassajara, which some of you might know, in, uh, in Carmel Valley. And I was just there to do work and to volunteer. And it was on sort of a... Um, uh, I was using vacation time from work to go there. And what I remember is not so much about what happened when I was there, but I remember driving back from, from Carmel up Route 1 to San Francisco, and that's where I was living. And it was like this amazing, like experiencing the world for the first time. You know, and I had driven on Route 1 many times, and I liked it, it was nice, you know, it could be pleasant. But there was this, um, due to the, I think, the shift in having practiced mindfulness in a way that I hadn't for a number of days, and then going back in the car, and I remember having the windows rolled down, and this brilliant sunny day, and just feeling like I was a dog (laughs) with its nose out of the window and just experiencing, just experiencing everything directly, you know. And, you know, it wasn't for anything. It wasn't about anything. There was no reason. It was just that moment-to-moment experiencing um, without... What, what was absent or what was different was um, there wasn't the usual preoccupation that I would have in terms of thinking about something, in terms of having the radio on and listening to a show and ideas or, you know, a lot of that was just happened to, happened to be quiet. So, um, and what surprised me was how much joy came up. You know, and just the simplicity of experiencing. It was, it was pleasant. There was something pleasant about it and there were some nice conditions that came together. But it was um, something about that absence of preoccupation, that absence of being sort of weighed down, burdened down by my thinking, by my concerns. And I remember stopping, being in the, and I thought, well, I'll go all the way into the city to Ocean Beach, you know, so I just took one all the way and then to the, kind of the Great Highway. And I remember parking and there was a, a car next to me and I think there were two parents who were, I mean, I don't know who they were, but it seemed like they were parents and they were in the front and they were talking and there was a child sitting in the, the seat. And then I was just looking at the child and he was looking at me and then I smiled, and then he smiled, and then I made a face, and then he made a face. And because mindfulness was there, because there was some kind of presence there, I was available to have that moment. I was available to have that exchange, that encounter with this other being. That normally, you know, I don't look into people's cars and, you know. Um, and so it was just that just that very strong imprint that the more available I am, the more present I am, the more available um, 
I am for, for moments of joy, for moments of delight, for moments of wonder, for moments of appreciation and mystery, that these are things that all happen in the present moment. And if I'm um, caught up in thinking about the past, caught up in thinking, in being somewhere other than where I am, um, I miss those, you know, I, I miss those moments. And um, so that, that was a big learning for me of just that, this, that very simple relationship between mindfulness and joy, that all these wonderful things in life that sort of make life delightful happen in the present moment and um, to want to be there for them. Uh, And I I think children, there's something about um, children, maybe because they don't have the years and years of of history and experience and that maybe they show up to the moment in a fresh way or this, this original way that I noticed that um, my children, they see so many things that I miss. You know, it's like, I mean, like, look, there's a, you know, um, you know, what do they say? I mean, an airplane is, is, is the, you know, it's like they can spot an airplane. That's like, you know, I, I never notice airplanes in the sky. It was like, unless it's something really unusual about it. Um, but they, they're, somehow their, their visual field is um, not as heavily, maybe is not as heavily filtered. So they're picking up on things. And um, so often if I can't find something like, did, where, where are the vitamins? And, you know, I know they're around there. I know they're on the counter somewhere. And then my daughter will be like, oh, it's right there. It's like, oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> you know. So, so children, maybe there's a, there's a way they can see and freshly, and so so much joy is available to children, or can be available to children. They can find the fun, kind of de- find the delight in the simplest. You know, often we'll walk somewhere in the city, and there are these. Um, you know, in the city, there's side on the sidewalk there are trees, and then there'll be a little square of dirt around the tree. <laughs> and that is a, a whole natural wonderland for children. And they can be in there and in the dirt and looking at the leaves and the stones and I'm like, come on, come on, let's go. And, you know, so um, it's, I think there's something in there and uh, something in there about seeing freshly and being present that, that makes joy more accessible. <coughs> um, when we talk about this kind of inner joy or dharma joy, sometimes it's called, one of the distinguishing characteristics of it is it's said to be, to come from within us. That it's not, it's not, exactly the joy of getting what I want, you know, of like having some kind of um, wonderful 
uh, satisfaction of the senses, like eating a great meal, having a great massage. You know, of course that's enjoyable. Of course we, 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 we love that. Um, but um, if that's the only kind of joy that is accessible to us, then we're at the mercy of conditions in a certain kind of way. We are dependent on designing our life, designing our day to um, produce joy from the outside. And, you know, I mean, that to, to some degree or other, that, that works, that can work, you know, especially if, if, if you're good at arranging your life around, you know, the kind of, the way the senses operate for you and what you like, you know, then, you know, it can kind of organize things a little bit like that. But um, from the Dharma side, there is, there's a vulnerability in that. There's uncertainty in that. You know, if we always, if we can, if I can only be happy when my body is comfortable, when my body feels good, when my body is, is, doesn't have any pain, any, you know, aches, you know, that's, that's, that's a brittle, that's considered sort of a brittle kind of happiness because the body is going to go its own way. And, you know, eventually, at some point, we, um, we will have problems in that area. And um, so this kind of joy is something that is said to come from the inside. And it's not about getting what I want and getting away from what I don't want aligning all the conditions of my life uh, perfectly um, to produce this joy. But it's something about being with experience in a way that um, doesn't resist it, doesn't push it away. It's like sort of, I think about it sometimes as a, as a harmonizing with experience. You know, just receiving, harmonizing. And Something in that letting go, in that quality of acceptance, the quality of not being in conflict with myself, with experience, um, something in the heart begins to unify, begins to come together. Who I am and what I'm experiencing are not separate things. You know, that sort of merging with experience and that's one doorway into this joy. You know, I, sometimes I think about, um, and probably we all, we all have some, something like this, but some activity that we really love, that we love to do. It could be just, just reading a book, you know, and really entering the world of that book, that story. It could be some kind of physical activity, walking or uh, dancing or um, someone I know has that experience with knitting or cer- a certain kind of knitting. Um, I forget what, the, what it's called, but like just getting, really getting into that activity, we can lose ourselves. We can sort of forget ourselves. And a, and a certain kind of joy arises from that. So in the same way with meditation, in the same way with being with the breath, being with the body, um, over time, as we, as those sort of grooves 
deepen. And as we get more comfortable in letting go of um, all of the different preoccupations and all of the different thinking that we sort of use to support ourselves, protect ourselves, comfort ourselves, um, when we can just set that, set that down for a second, for a moment, um, it gives this other kind of way of being a chance to arise. And that can, that can bring with it a lot of joy. Um, so this joy is, um, is said to be what the Buddha remembered when he was in the, the throes, the depths of his um, anguish of practicing really, really intensively almost starving himself and doing these really um, painful practices, difficult practices. Um, so much effort, so much suffering, pushing, so much pushing. And then in a moment of luck maybe, a moment of grace, a moment of something, he had this memory of being a child and this memory of just just sitting under under an apple tree and having this inner joy that had arisen for no reason you know there was nothing that as a boy he did to bring it about there was nothing that it wasn't like he earned it in some way he deserved it in some way it was just through this this um, this this way of being that was so relaxed, that was so at ease, that that was so simple. Um, his own nature just appeared, and this 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 this, this effortless joy. Um, and then in remembering that quality of being, remembering that state, he thought, maybe that's the way to go. Maybe it's not so much about pushing and um, figuring it out and um, punishing myself, but it's about sort of um, relaxing all of that, relaxing all of those, those ideas, all of those projects, and returning to something that's that's so simple, that's so um, um, so intrinsic to who we are, that we overlook it. There's a, there's this Zen saying that um, the student asks the teacher, "What is the way?" And the teacher says, "Oh, your your ordinary mind is the way." You know, just as you are before trying to do something special, that's the way. And then the student says, well, um, how can I find this? And, and the teacher says something like, if you look for it, you've already stumbled past it. You know, something like, it, it's so close to us. It's so much who we are that even this process of doing, of looking, of becoming, you know, we've missed it. 
we, we just missed it. We, you know, we just left. It, it's here with us. But, and when we go out from here, we, we miss it. And then it's like, oh, okay, so come back here. And this, um, so, so this was, this was a really, this was said to be a turning point for the Buddha to remember this joy. Um, and one of the things I love about this idea of joy that's intrinsic to who we are or joy that doesn't take a lot of effort is that this insight that actually it takes more effort to be unhappy <laughs> than to, to be joyful, to have this joy. You know, it's like our unhappiness, our, our, our preoccupation, our entanglement is a kind of doing, is a kind of, you know, um, um, it, it usually involves a mental activity that's being initiated. And so when we can tune in to our own experience and see like, okay, I don't have to produce, it's not about producing a certain state called joy or happiness, but it's about getting really sensitive to the ways I make myself unhappy. Getting really sensitive to the ways that thinking and um, clinging and um, this kind of movements of mind um, produce dissatisfaction and 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 learning how to relax those let those let those just be let those just go so something about that that it that it actually takes effort to be unhappy and to get very interested to get very curious about the ways what are the ways that i um, make myself unhappy what are the ways that the characteristic ways that i resist things that I um, miss. I miss the moments of joy. Um, so a big part of the practice of, of, of joy as a quality of awakening, as a quality of practice, is to, is to value it and to look for it, to, to be... To be um, to, to sort of orient ourselves around the possibility of joy in the simplest moments in the you know that maybe it doesn't take a lot um, it's it's we don't have to wait until everything is just right then I can ah then joy will be there when I just you know whatever it is when it whether it's when I'm with every breath or get the perfect um job or relationship or um, but maybe it's present or it's available a lot more than we than we realize um, I've definitely noticed that um, in terms of friends or in people I've talked to when when we have um, when something jolts us in our life and it could be a serious illness it could be um, an encounter with mortality, our own mortality, or a loved one. Um, sometimes that 
is what helps us to appreciate the possibility of joy in the ordinary, the everyday, you know, and we were able to see our life, our experience um, in a fresh way. You know, there's something that we don't take for granted anymore because we know, oh, okay, you know, I won't be here forever. And, it, you know, just that wanting to savor every morsel, wanting to um, just, just not miss anything. And, and so, so that interest in our experience can bring about a lot of joy. Um, you know, as always with these Dharma qualities, we, um, rather than, or maybe in addition to um, looking for it directly, we can cultivate what supports joy, for example. And so, of course, you know, as you said, mindfulness, this quality of curiosity, investigation, interest, um, all of the wholesome qualities that mindfulness practice um, uh, conditions us for or, or produces, um, these, these lead, are said to lead to joy. Um, being ethical, living an ethical life, um, uh, having integrity, or, you know, whatever that means for us. This, one of, one of the reasons that um, for the Buddha, this practice was so important, the practice of ethics, the practice of integrity, is that it, it's said to bring in itself a sense of delight. You know, when I make that decision, from this moment on, I'm going to really take care of my actions. I'm going to really um, try not to harm other beings with my actions. Just making that choice, making that decision, orienting the heart around that gladdens the heart, brings, its own, brings delight, brings, brings a kind of happiness. Um, so qualities of of, of sila, of ethics, of generosity, of, of really giving, giving ourselves, you know, it lightens us. It, it, um, it's a sort of, you know, I always think that the practice of generosity, it's, it like, it's a reminder of a truth that sometimes we forget you know, or this truth about our, that who I am is not just me. It's not just me in this body, in this separate, se- separate self, but that we're, we're really connected. We're really um, in this together. Um, I have a friend who is part of our Sangha here, um, and he is doing a, a travel around the world right now. And... With a, with a special, um, 
interest in, in Buddhist countries and doing practice, doing Dharma practice. I mean, he was in India for a while. And I got a message from him a few days ago and that he, he's now in um, this border area between Burma and, Bang- and, and Bangladesh. I mean, it's technically Bangladesh. But if, you know, you might be aware that there is this big humanitarian crisis, this refugee crisis um, that is, um, that involves the very small Muslim minority. Um, You know, Burma is uh, primarily, predominantly Buddhist in the sort of ethnic and the the religious identification. But there's this small minority of Muslims in this particular province who are basically being um, terrorized and, and driven out. And it's, it's, a, it's this horrible situation and compounded um, for me because of the, the sort of, um, I don't know, shocking for me juxtaposition of this happening in a Buddhist country. Or, you know, and what what is this? What is going on there? Or what is what is this about? And it's a country where I've spent some time and have really close friends and done, did a lot of nonprofit work in Burma and and um, so this so so this is happening and there is not a lot of sympathy or it seems or really understanding from the. Pri- predominant Buddhist uh, population. Not everyone, of course. Um, but there's a long campaign of dehumanizing this minority. And this is sort of the... the, the um, it's sort of come to a head right now in this way. So, so my friend, who is um, you know, uh, a, pract- a Dharma practitioner, a Buddhist practitioner, has found himself offering support for these, um, the refugee camps, you know, and, and uh, whole families, whole villages who are being driven out and who are there in this area where there's basically nothing, no infrastructure. And um, in a situation where it seems very hard to find joy, one of the ways that I was able to access some, some joy was to be able to support him and what he's doing there and, and share that and share that message. And it was sort of like, in coming from that sense of, of awareness and generosity, it was like, oh yeah, we're, you know, we're all connected, we're all in this together, and there's something that I can do, that we can do, maybe in a small way, that, um, that, that could be a little bit helpful. Um, so, um, yeah, so these qualities that, that support joy. Um, one, one thing, you know, just before ending, one thing I want to mention is whenever we talk about um, these wholesome qualities, these positive qualities like joy, like delight, like it could be concentration or anything, it can highlight their absence for us. 
So, you know, you're hearing all this, oh yeah, joy and delight and mindfulness. Oh, I don't feel joy right now. I don't feel happy or I'm in a time of my life that's really difficult. And um, that can be painful itself to, to feel like I'm separated from the Dharma or I'm separated from these teachings because I don't relate to it right now. I'm not experiencing so much joy. And um, so I just wanted to sort of name that and acknowledge it and as a reminder to all of us that practice mindfulness meditation is not about trying to produce a certain state that we we generate and then we just hold on to for dear life and then when when it goes away we get really angry <laughs> really irritated and we have to get it back and you know that's that's far far from far from it when it is very human where we all do that but it's much more so about um, kind of how how we started about this willingness to stay with our experience however it is and always coming back to that and often our experience has some degree of dukkha some degree of suffering and this this maybe counterintuitive invitation that the more I can really open to the dukkha, open to the suffering, entrusting in that, there's something in that that um, brings about all of these wonderful, um, delightful qualities that maybe not right away, but w- when, I, when I close off from any aspect of my experience, I'm also closing off to the joy. It's like the same thing that feels sadness, the same thing that feels pain, the same thing that feels anger is what feels joy. So it's like, if I, if I numb myself out or if I, if I close off to one side of experience, we're actually closing off to a lot more than we think. And if I open up to, to um, uh, you know, even when every part of me is saying, don't get away, go away, don't, you don't want to feel this feeling, you don't want to, you don't want to have this conversation or you don't want to, in, in the case of this refugee issue, you don't want to read about this. You don't want to, you know, and someone had shared an article, you know, the New York Times has done some pretty, pretty amazing reporting. And I, you know, it was, I was looking at it online and I could sort of feel like, do I want to read this? Like, do I, is this the right time? And actually at that time it wasn't the right time and then I came back to it later. And I thought, okay, now I'm in a place where I can look at this and read about this and read about the experience of these people. And then just yesterday there was, um, I hadn't read this before, but there was a first person account by the reporter, one of the reporters who's in these refugee camps. And he was talking about his own experience in interviewing people and he said, and just, and, and just how emotional it was for him and how difficult. 
And he said, I can't, I can't write this in the newspaper because no one will read this. No one will want to read this. No one will want to open to this, how, how horrible this is. And then he realized, okay, I have to write this. I have to share this. This is the only thing I can do that will help. And so, you know, not that we, you know, you know, to use some wisdom for ourselves of what can I open to now? What is okay? What is sk- safe? What is skillful? Um, you know, and so there'll be times when it's, when it's not the right thing. It's not, you know, that the, this mind-body system needs something else. You know, it needs to go out for um, a walk, to sit in the sun, to be, to be with people who um, we enjoy in a very simple way. And um, so, it's, so it's not about always just being like a moth to the light, you know, just going to suffering wherever suffering is. And I have to, I have to suffer and I have to feel that suffering because it's there. And... Um, But also, you know, so, the, so there, there are times when it's very skillful, as, as one teacher I said, to put something beautiful in your heart, you know, to really gladden the heart, you know, um, look at beauty, read, read beauty. Um, so, so there's for sure times when we need that. And then there are times when we, we have enough um, mindfulness and peacefulness and presence and stability that we can, that the heart can open in, in, in a beautiful way to the suffering of others or the suffering of ourselves. And, and in, in trusting that, in, in being willing to meet that um, and be with that, um, that's the way to this kind of inner joy. That's the way to... Um, this, this, um, this happiness that comes from within us and doesn't depend on other things, comes from our own wholeness, comes from our own nature in a way. Um, Maybe that's a good place to to stop and um, thank you very much for your your presence and your your you know it's joyful to me to to sit with you to be with you it's like I notice in my own sitting there is it's just different to sit alone to sit you know I mean someone may say well we never sit alone right because you know we're all we're all we're all always with everything and sitting with everything, and that's true. But I think to come here and to sit together and just invite the Dharma and be together is a joyful thing, is a, is a, is a beautiful thing. So it's like, it's not so much, um, I think about it the way I think about going out to eat. <laughs> you know, of course we can cook at home and it's wonderful to cook at home and in a way it's better to cook at home because you, ha- you, know, you know where the food's coming from, you can have more control over it. But it's like we go out to eat to celebrate, 
in a way. You know, and there's a kind of celebration about that, can be. And so, you know, just to come together like this and sit together, to me, is a kind of celebration. And so thank you for, for being here, celebrating the Dharma together. And um, We have a few minutes if anyone has questions or comments or... Um, you know, what, what do you find um, brings about joy for you, this kind of, this kind of inner joy? I was glad you talked about choice. Um, and particularly around daily suffering, it's so easy to just get stuck in the in the uh, dukkha of everyday life, you know, the trudge. And um, it seems like, and it's good to notice it, right, to be mindful that that's happening, right? But it seems like there isn't a lot to be gained, at least not anymore for me, to going into that suffering, right? And that there's just this little choice, to open my heart in that moment yeah. to and then and then the joy can happen again right does yeah. that make sense is that kind of what you were talking about yeah. with choice or it, it's like a, um it's different than i can just choose happiness right cuz there's that's that but it's like that in a way yeah, yeah. Is that like we have a choice about where we put our attention and how we open or, or don't open? And it's true that when there's that opening, then things can, there's tears sometimes when those tragedies come in, right? Then well, the heart is open. But then it just passes, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think that's, that's often my experience. I mean, I think we often have a tendency to notice what's wrong, you know, and maybe there's a human reason, evolutionary reason that we're sort of scanning, we're looking, what's not right, what's off, what's, and what would it be like to go through the day to notice what's right, to notice, to make that sort of, to notice what is, um, you know, yeah, yeah, to be, I mean, for me, it's often about when I'm more present, moment to moment, I'm not as preoccupied, and then moments of joy are available, moments of connection are available. Whereas I miss them because I'm often, you know, I'm thinking about what I have to do next, and then I have to do this, and then, okay, yeah, and, you know, and it's, it's, that's normal, and that's, but just that, yeah, like making that choice, making that choice to be open to be available um, yeah yeah thank you um, for me I struggle a great deal with things having sufficient meaning so if I'm not involved in activities that are sufficiently meaningful for the rest of the world that I'm not doing enough to help or to make the world a better place, I can. It can be um, difficult to be connected to that joy. So for me, the struggle sometimes is to to trust, mm. to learn to trust that um, 
I'm not in charge of the world. And that um, I may be being or maybe where I'm at because this is just where I'm supposed to be or where I'm supposed to be at at this moment. But, it, but I struggle a lot of times with remembering that. So it's just a trust yeah. that I'm enough yeah. as I am. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. That's, yeah, I think that um, we're sort of like meaning, meaning-making machines. <laughs> you know, we, we, we want meaning, we need meaning in a way, we crave meaning, and we, we attribute meaning to things. And, um, and I think there, that, that's, that's important in, in, in a certain way. But, yeah, there's also... Um, there's so much we, we, we don't know, we can't know, and we can't figure out. And there's often maybe a lot of ideas or assumptions that are partial or that are, you know, that... And so just sort of remembering that sometimes can, oh yeah, right. Um, the world is spinning around and it doesn't depend on me to, to keep it going or to... and. Um, yeah, and then and then it's almost like the the simplest things, the most ordinary things, can, it, in a way, also be really meaningful for someone else that I didn't even realize. That smile, or that, are you okay? Or that, you know, whatever it is, helping someone in the parking lot, you know, whatever, you know, whatever, just being aware enough to could mean the world to someone. You know, and, you know, for us, it's just, you know, it was just walking, you know, we just, you know. Um, a friend of mine was saying that she, she was late for a meeting and she was driving in her neighborhood here in Redwood City and she, and then out of the corner of her eye, she saw a person, an, some, an old elderly woman, um, s- stumble and trip and fall on the sidewalk. And there was, it was like, it was just, like she saw it like, it would have been so easy to miss. And she saw it, and then she was so late to the thing, but she, she turned around and she went back and she jumped out and she kind of stayed with the, the person and, and, and helped kind of calm her down. And, and um, so it's like, we, we don't know the benefits of, of just this simple, remembering to be to be aware to be present and the difference that will make for someone else and for, for ourselves um, without any planning without any you know um, but anyway yeah, thank you Thank you very much. Thank you for being here. And wish you a joyful day. And, um